Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who was charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting, and in the alternative, because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we concluded our look at Prosecutor Christopher Shellhorn's direct examination of the case's lead crime scene investigator, Brian Bailey. We also covered the beginning of defense attorney Edward Belinkus's cross-examination of the detective. In this installment, we explore the balance of Detective Bailey's testimony. That's coming up right after the break. 
process. As to, did no. you preserve it? No. Was the prosecutor's office there and also aware that there was a video camera that potentially could have preserved? Don't, don't answer that question. You're asking his knowledge of what other people knew at the time? No, I'm asking if the- You said, yeah, you said if the prosecutor's office knew, that's their state of mind. Okay, Rephrase the question or withdraw and then ask another one. Was the Morris County Prosecutor's Office or any representative from that office at the crime scene on that night while you were doing your job? Yes. Now, on that day, you find both a handgun, two casings, and two magazines, correct? Correct. And those are the ones that have been introduced into evidence, correct? Correct. And Judge, I don't believe that's accurate. No, that's not the testimony. The, uh, Rephrase your question. You found the handgun, correct? Correct. You was introduced into evidence. One magazine, correct? Correct. And two shell casings, correct? Correct. Okay. As a crime scene investigator, do those items potentially have fingerprints and DNA on them? Yes. Were they submitted to a fingerprint expert and or a DNA expert at any time to your knowledge? No. Now, you indicated that when you got there and first were able to appraise the scene, it was not raining, correct? Correct. You indicated yesterday that uh, you were waiting for a search warrant, correct? Correct. And at some point in time, you received a search warrant, correct? Correct. Which allowed you to search basically everything that uh, you requested on that warrant, correct? Correct. For instance, you were able to search my client's vehicle. Correct? Correct. In the photographs introduced by the prosecutor, there were two other vehicles and a trailer in the immediate area. Do you recall seeing them? Yes. Are you aware of the fact that they belong to Robert Goodwin? Uh, I don't. Did you or anyone, to your knowledge, get a search warrant to search those vehicles which were included in your crime scene area? Uh, I did not, and to my knowledge, I'm, I don't know. Where was Robert Goodwin when you arrived? When I arrived, he was located in front of the, the police, one of the police vehicles that was parked in the driveway. Now, the prosecutor has introduced uh, numerous photographs of telephones that were on the scene, correct? Correct. Uh, there's one on the, uh, like, a round table. Correct. Are you aware of the fact that that's my client's telephone? I was not at the time, no. There were two other phones located on an umbrella base at the bottom of the stairs, correct? Correct. And they were basically on top of each other, correct? Correct. And when you first got to the scene, um, you photographed those items in the exact location that they were found, correct? Correct. And then you tried to protect them uh, because of the rain with, with plastic, correct? Yes, yes. With, with regards to uh, clothing, that's been introduced into evidence by the prosecutor, uh, specifically the yellow sweatshirt and red t-shirt uh, with the bullet defects in them. Upon seeing them, you were aware that they belonged to the alleged victim, correct? Yes. And would you agree with me that you believed it was important to preserve them, correct? Yes. Because certain evidential things can be uh, had from those items of clothing, correct? Correct. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In his cross-examination of Detective Brian Bailey, Barrison attorney Edward Belinkus moves from the clothing collected at the shooting scene to the collection of gunshot residue from the parties. In the warrant, it indicated that you were able to take samples of my client's hands for gunshot residue, correct? Correct. Now, gunshot residue is basically gunpowder, which is expelled both from the weapon towards the back, which would get on a person's hand, and from the front, which potentially could get on someone's clothing, correct? Correct. So the gunshot residue basically goes in both directions when a weapon is filed, correct? Correct. Now, in the warrant, you were given permission to swab my client's hands to make a determination if he had any gunshot residue on his hand, correct? Correct. Did you or anyone to your knowledge request to do the same thing on either Lauren Cataracts or Robert Goodwin's hands? Not to my knowledge. With regards to the clothing, were you aware that Lauren Cataract has indicated that she was shot at close distance? Yes. Did anyone, to your knowledge, conduct gunshot residue evaluations on her clothing to either confirm or verify that she was shot at close range? Yes. And what were the results of that? Hold on. Did he do it? No. He can't oh. answer that. Then it's hearsay. I'll withdraw the question. Did you do it, Judge? I'm sorry? He did do it. What? Hold on. Say that again? This witness did it? Yes. Oh, all right. Then he can answer. I thought he said no, that he didn't do it. I think, I think the question was about whether there was any swabbings of anyone's hands. No, no, no. He, no, that's not what he said. He, he was asking the follow-up question, the results of an examination that was done to the clothing. Well, he, he could tell what the results were. Well, he, he didn't do the test. Judge, I'll, I'll withdraw the question. He did do the test. It was negative. Okay. Let me see that sidebar. After a brief sidebar meeting, Judge Stephen Taylor instructs Belinkus. Just rephrase your question, please. Set a foundation for us, please. Sir, are, are you an expert with regards to... He's, he's not qualified as an expert. I want to ask the question if I can, Judge. No, but no, are you going to... You can't ask a question if he's an expert and have him say yes without qualifying him as an expert to render an opinion. If that's what you want to do with him, then qualify him as an expert. You can't just ask him if he's an expert without qualifying him and ask him his opinion. What's the opinion, Judge? Well, then why are you asking him if he's an expert? An expert has a specific designation under the law. If you're going to ask him that as an expert, you have to qualify him as an expert. Otherwise, don't ask him if he's an expert. Belinkus again approaches the bench, apparently for guidance on how to ask Detective Bailey questions about his tests for gunshot residue. Officer, do you have training with regards to uh, examining gunshot residue? I have training using an infrared camera and what results would look like. 
And, and where did you get that training? <clears throat> Through Fujifilm. And how long was that training? To my knowledge, it was an eight-hour course. So, so basically, you've had eight hours of training, correct? Eight hours of training, correct. And, and the method that you use uh, is what in this case? I used a Fujifilm XT100, um, I believe, camera, infrared UV camera to photograph the items with different lens filters to produce different results. Okay, and uh, is there more a more sophisticated method, to your knowledge, to make that determination? To my knowledge, they could be tested with a presumptive test. And, and what's a presumptive test? What do you mean by that? It's a chemical-based test that you could um, basically swab uh, onto the item and see if there is potential results. And would you agree that that technique is far more accurate and reliable than just the uh, test that you did? No. Now, does the fact that the clothing was drenched have any impact on the test that you did? It could have a, an impact on any test to be conducted. If our test showed that there was any presence of any GSR, what we would have done is then used a, a presumptive test or sent that item to the lab. And you did it with regards to uh, Ms. Cataract's clothing, correct? Correct. Did you do it with regards to my client's clothing? No. And when you say did it, you're referring to the um, using the camera, right? Yeah. Yes. You understand that's what he was talking yes, about? Yes. Yes, sir. Now, there was a bullet hole in the door by the back stairs, correct? Correct. Did you see where that bullet went to? Can you rephrase that? Did you see where that bullet went to? I saw where the bullet struck the door and the potential flight path of that projectile, yes. And would you agree with me that the bullet went through the room and through a window to the left or the right of the door? I believe that, yes, the flight path of that projectile did go out an exit window. Did you ever find that stent bullet? We did not find that projectile. Did, did you look for it? Yes. Did you use metal detectors to attempt to find it? Not that particular projectile, based on the flight path. So you have no idea what caliber bullet caused that defect in the door and or the window that it went through? Correct. And you are missing one, at least one casing, correct? Correct. Now, those items of clothing worn camera, believe you testified there were a entrance and an exit defect, correct? That's correct. Which would indicate to you that the bullet went through her and her clothing, correct? That's correct. Did you find those bullets? No, we did not. Now, the clubhouse area, the prosecutor has showed you uh, photographs of the office area, correct? That's correct. And the door to that office area is a solid wooden door, mm -hmm. correct? I believe so, yes. And when you walk into the office, that safe that you've <coughs> testified to about is on your left, correct? Correct. The safe was closed, but it wasn't locked, correct? Correct. And I know you've testified to that pink and black case and items associated with that. Uh, there were, in fact, other weapons in there, correct? That's correct. And there was... For instance, a, a 22 revolver? Yes. With ammunition? Yes. And, and there were numerous long guns, including a shotgun, correct? Yes. With I believe so. boxes of shotgun shells that fit those 
particular weapons, correct? Correct. Judge Taylor then offers the prosecution the opportunity to follow up with Detective Bailey. We direct Mr. Shellhorn. Yes, Your Honor. Detective Bailey, are you aware whether any metal detectors were used at the scene uh, to look for other shell casings or projectiles? Metal detectors were used on the scene, yes. And was that on August 7th or August 8th or something else? Uh, it could have been in between on, on both days based off the circumstances of the scene. I don't know what time of night or day. But you're aware they were used? They were used, correct. Do you have any experience with uh, shell casings being ejected from a bullet from personal experience in terms of your experience shooting at the range and that sort of thing? Yes. Have you ever investigated any other shooting incidents? Yes. Uh, so you have practical experience with investigating shooting incidents where there were shell casings? Yes. Do you have any experience with other investigations or personal experience as a, as a police officer with what could happen to a shell casing or how it gets ejected from a gun? Yes. Can you explain that to the jury? Uh, shell casings get ejected from a weapon. Um, it's not repetition. It's not the same every time. Also, being a police officer shooting on a range, I have come home with shell casings in my boots, stuck to my boots. So they are able to um, get places basically where you're stepping on them in your clothing, um, where they're not going to be in the direct vicinity of where the, the weapon was fired. Now, you indicated that when you got to the scene on August 7th, 2019, it, it was not raining yet? Correct. How would you describe the rain that did come down that afternoon? Uh, it was substantial, it was very heavy, and it came very quick. Could you estimate approximately how long after you got on scene that the rain started? I would say approximately within 25 to 30 minutes of arriving on scene, the rain started and became very heavy at times. And, and during that time, were there still individuals on the scene either rendering medical assistance to some of the people or trying to clean up? I don't believe anybody was still on scene receiving any medical treatment at that time. I'm going to show you uh, again what's been marked as S-205. S-205, I think you had testified earlier, was a picture of one of the shell casings in the driveway? Yes. Or the area of one of the shell casings? Yes. Can you see the shell casing in this picture? No. Why not? Uh, it's submerged in water. And is this picture representative of other areas on that driveway or in that yard at the time that you uh, noticed the rain start? Yes. I think you were asked a question about whether you were aware if there was any sort of a camera at the house the day that you were processing? Yes. Um, and I think you were asked if you knew that was there and if you collected it. Yes. Can you explain to the jury what your role was or what you knew about that, that camera based on your experience as a crime scene officer? Based on my experience as a crime scene detective, the camera was photographed there. Uh, we did examine that camera on scene. It was a cloud-based system. So that physical camera itself wouldn't be storing any of our, our data, any of our video. Um, it would be going to a cloud, for example, like a ring. Ring is very common and it's a cloud-based system. So you can log into your account um, basically from a computer, a phone, a tablet, and you can kind of look at what's been going on um, through your, your cloud. Do you have experience with those type of cameras based on your experience as a crime scene investigator? Yes, that and personal. And I think the last question I had for you was you were asked if you had, had photographed any of the defendant's clothes that you collected or processed those with the IR camera for gunshot residue? I was asked that question, yes. Now you indicated that you did process Lauren Canaret's clothing first? Yes. What was the reason you chose to uh, process those articles of clothing first? So when those articles were dried, we did know that 
Miss Kenrenak did receive two gunshots. So after those those articles of clothing were dried throughout the drying chamber, they were then photographed so we could see the defects. That night, during the actual crime scene investigation, we weren't able to see those defects based on how saturated and how wet the, the clothing was. So when they were taken back and dried, then they were examined for, for defects. And with respect to the IR camera and the, the looking for the gunshot residue, is there a reason that you chose her articles of clothing to check first? Yes, we did know that those articles of clothing, after examining them with our eyes and a normal photography with our normal typical crime scene camera, uh, we noticed bullet defects. So that's when we did use the IR camera to examine those articles of clothing with different lights and uh, filters. And based on not identifying any gunshot residue on those articles of clothing, did that influence your decision not to photograph other items? Just yes. leading. It was a little bit leading, Mr. Shellhorn. Just did that, that. rephrase your question. Based on your uh, examination of those articles of clothing, Ms. meaning Ms. Canerax, did that imp impact your investigation? Yes, uh, being that we had negative results with our, our IR camera, um, no other clothing was then photographed utilizing that IR camera. Judge, I don't have any further questions, thank you. Judge Taylor invites Edward Belinkus an opportunity for recross, and Barrison's attorney rises for a few brief questions. Based on your experience uh, with casings being ejected from a uh, handgun, would you agree that wherever they land are, are pretty unreliable and unpredictable? As to? As to where they land. Yes. And before you got there, with the number of people, could those specific casings that you've identified and marked as pieces of evidence, could they have been disturbed in all the chaos which would have made those locations unreliable? Yes. So based on your experience, would you agree with me that it would be almost impossible to make a determination as to where someone was standing when the weapon was fired based on where you marked those casings being found? That's correct. Nothing further. All right, you may step down. Thank you, Detective. Thank you, Judge. And with the conclusion of the detective's testimony, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Michael Barrison. Join us on our next installment as we begin our look at the testimony of Mary Haskins Gray, the defendant's girlfriend and assistant dressage trainer. Also, if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty. 
the trial of Michael Barrison. 